0: Thank you guys for leaving us tonight. That was uh, that was wonderful. Um, how are y'all doing tonight? How are y'all feeling? Feeling tired? Are we feeling good? Feeling excited? What are we feeling? All all of the above? You clap. Does that mean you're excited? Just a clap. One clap. Does two clap means tired. Two clap means no. Two clap means no. Okay, that's good. That's how we're going to communicate the entire rest of the week by clapping. Um, well, hey, very good. Well done. Um, you're getting the hang of it already. Well, hey, guys. So here we are again. Um, Obey your faith. Seems like we've been here a, a while already. It's already our third talk of the week. Uh, and this morning, we started off with this idea of foundation. What was, what was the foundation of obedience? What was it? Look at that. It's funny how that answer actually works a lot of times. Um, so Jesus was the, was the foundation. Tonight, we're going to talk about source, okay? Tonight, we're going to talk about source. Talk about foundation for obedience this morning. In other words, the idea of building on something, having a cornerstone, remember Christ talking about himself as the cornerstone, building on a, on a foundation of wisdom. To, tonight we're going to talk about source and the idea of what are we drawing from. We, we know what we start with, the idea of a foundation, a cornerstone. As we continue to, to talk about obedience, talk about Christian living, what's, a, what's the source of obedience that we, that we must continually turn to? Uh, and run to. And that's where we're going to be headed. That's where we're going to be headed uh, a little bit tonight. Before we get into that, though, I have a question. Who World Cups going on right now? Were there any games today, by the way? Anybody know if there are any games today? Good. Look at you guys. You're like, I don't care about soccer, I'm in a Christian camp. Uh, I like that. Um, so, uh, although I was looking up cardinal scores today, so I can't say that. Um, who actually did not, does not care at all about the World Cup? It's like soccer, World Cup. Okay, a lot of you. Okay, that's great. So this illustration is going to bomb. Okay, great. Uh, so <laughs> who, who is like, I love World Cup. I love soccer. I love following EPL and all that stuff. I love following soccer. Who is like me who's like, Four years, out of the, or four years out of my life, I don't care about soccer, but when World Cup hits, I like cheer for it like the world is ending. It's awesome, right? Got to, that's me, right? I act like I know what I'm talking about. After World Cup, I do not even know what soccer is for four years. Um, but man, do I love it right now. Um, I love that. Uh, I love that there's this thing that we get excited about. And, and there is an image, and even if you don't really like soccer, which is apparently three-fourths of you, um, even if you really don't care about the World Cup, Uh, Even if you really haven't watched anything, there's an image I want to share with you that I think is really, really interesting, really, really uh, dramatic. That's definitely not it, or that one, or that There it is. Um, The Apostle Paul. It's a dramatic picture of of the World Cup. Uh, This is a picture from um, one of our best players, a guy named Josie Altidore. This is in the very first game uh, of the World Cup that America had versus Ghana. And again, if right now you're clicking your sports, shut down, okay? It's okay. Hang with me. This isn't about sports per se. Uh, it's about what happened in this moment. As you can see, he's not very excited right now. He's in a lot of pain. And in this moment, if you watch this moment of the world, again, this is one of the biggest games of Jose Altidore's life. He's one of our best scorers on the American team. And at one point, he's, he's running down the left side, and he's competing for a ball with another guy, and he's blazing. He's, he's, you know he's competing for this ball, and he's trying hard. And you're watching, and you're like, man, that guy is... He clearly knows what he's doing, he's big, and he's strong, and he's sprinting, and he's trying hard. And all of a sudden, you just see him start to wince a little bit and slow down, and he just pulls up, and he just grabs. He, you can see him right there. He grabs his leg, and he, and he just keels over. He pulls up lame and pain, and he keels over. And it turned out what he had is he had a, a strained hamstring, okay? But when you watch sports, it's a, it really, really hurts, uh, and he, and he was actually sat out for the next week and a half until he got a little bit of playing time. I think in one of our games, maybe he actually didn't get any playing time in that game. Um, but the reason I'm showing this is we see this in athletes a lot. You guys watch basketball or NBA. You guys know that game with LeBron James, where like all of a sudden, like he's like, I can't play anymore. Uh, and it's literally, and, and he just, he's like, I, you got to carry me off the court, right? And you guys, yeah, and he had cramps. And I'm not saying, I'm not, giving, I'm not giving him excuse, or I'm giving him excuse. Cramps are really, really painful. They hurt to play with. And for those of you out here, today, this week at some point, there's going to be a moment where you kind of hit a wall. You're going to kind of pull up lame, and you're like, man, it, it's going to be because you're tired. And what's the reason, for all those things we can spend, what's one of the biggest reasons why, why cramps and strains and just coming up tired happens? Sin. You can say sin? thats is that that is a big. as a big meta narrative answer. Pain and death and sin in the world. That is true. Uh, the fall. Uh, what's what's another reason? Lack of potassium. Okay, that's right. Dehydration. That's what I was looking for. Although the fall is also an acceptable answer. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with dehydration here. Uh, and, and and the reason that a lot of these things happen in sports is guys don't drink enough water. They just haven't been able to to, to get enough things that the, the, the The body needs out of water. uh, And guess what? They can be skilled. They can be working their butts off. They can be trying as hard as they can. They can have all the training in the world, like Josie Altidore of the U.S. Men's National Team. But if you don't have a source, if you're not drawing consistently from a source, you're going to pull up lame. Josie Altidore could run up, you know, Whatever it is that uh, the peak, what is it, Horn Peak? He could run up Horn Peak and back in like three hours, probably. Um, he's a super athlete. Um, but if, if he doesn't sourcing himself with water, uh, if an athlete doesn't source themselves with water, eventually, no matter how skilled they are, no matter how trained they are, no matter how hard they're working and pushing themselves and just and and, and going all out, eventually, something like this is going to happen. You can see how much pain he's in. Pain he's in. He's going to go up lame. We say often, especially at your camps like this, guys, we say this often. We say, man, I'm excited. I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about Christ. And I, I really, really, really am, am pumped about learning and training and learning all these things and becoming a better disciple. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to train myself, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to be discipled. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to have mentors. And I am going to be a disciple that really follows. But then the time goes on, and things, things happen, and, and the, the enthusiasm and the passion and the excitement tend to wane. And what often happens is, is we come to this point where we realize, I don't really feel like consistently drawing consistently in a daily way in my life from a source that's going to keep me going, that's going to keep me moving, it's going to keep me progressing towards this passion and zeal and desire I have to be a Christian. Who's ever felt that moment in their life? It's like, I remember when I was excited about doing it, but now I just don't feel that need to, to consistently get into a source. Who's felt that before? Okay, so a good amount of you. And then those moments, we, we, we sometimes even draw away from sources that we know are going to be good and right for us. And, and another thing that happens when we come home from, and I'm going to tell a story about myself here in a little bit. It's an example of this. We come home from trips like this or moments when we're excited and zealous about pursuing Christ and then suddenly we realize we become distracted. Like, okay, I'm excited about focusing and centering on Jesus. I'm excited about focusing and centering on the, the theme of this week. And well, I'm going to look at the book of, of John. I'm going to read it. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to grow in this way. And wait a second, there's this thing over here that I'm excited about too. And there's this thing over here that I think I can get some happiness from as well. And the source that we want to go to becomes shifted to other things. We either lose desire for a source or we, or we choose we choose a wrong source. If I'm running a marathon, do we have any marathon runners in here? Anybody who's run a marathon? That's awesome. Okay, so we have a handful of marathon runners. Uh, this is probably wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I would guess, I would venture to guess that, that two of the biggest mistakes that a marathon runner could, could make is, one, not enough water. Is that true? Yes, okay. Okay, so it's not, not having enough water in your system, not being hydrated is one of the worst things that a, a marathon runner can do. Or... The other mistake they can make is having the wrong source in them. In other words, having the wrong thing in their body that won't help. In other words, if I'm a marathoner, I'm not going to run this marathon today. The last thing I'm looking for, I'm like, I need to keep going. I'm not, like, going over to the guy over here and saying, hey, I want a venti caramel macchiato right now. Hook me, give me two. I'm going to drink one and pour one on my head. It's going to keep me going. It's going to be uh, No, you're going to die after, like, 10 seconds if you chug. I would die anyway when I chug one of those things. Um, but that's a wrong source to draw from if you, if you want to pursue, if you want to, if you want to run a marathon. I think two mistakes that we make in our, in our Christian lives, pursuits, and just in general, after camps, and just in general, is, is losing, is, is, is forgetting what is the source that Christ points us to to, to keep moving in our obedience. And also, just getting distracted and choosing the wrong source to draw from in our lives. Both of those things can, can cause us, as, as, as trained and skilled as we are, as how much we've been built up and preached to, and as hard as we're trying, it's, eventually we're going to pull up lame if we're not drawn from the right source. Uh, I wanted to say it this way. If we desire to be faithful and obedient followers of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, guys, Everyone in this room—that's a—that's a great thing to desire and want. I want to be a faithful and obedient follower of Christ. That's a great thing to want. But if we desire to do this, we must continually drink from the waters of His abundant grace through faith. If this week we want to even think again, this we we talked about. If we even want to think about being obedient, we got to build a great foundation on Jesus Christ. The next step is saying if we want to, if we want to, if we desire to be faithful and obedient followers of Christ, we must also be drawing from a, a continual daily, weekly, monthly source of his abundant grace through faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And then the warning here is obedience, which we're talking about this week, apart from grace equals devastation. This morning I used the idea of, of, of or Jesus used the idea of obedience apart uh, from himself equals ruin. And I'm going to use the term this, 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 uh, this evening Obedience apart from uh, grace is only going to end up in us pulling up blame and equal devastation. I'm going to tell a story of how this happened to me. I'm going to pull up a chair because I like, I like chairs sometimes. Um, I, I, I told a little bit of my story a couple nights ago uh, how growing up I was kind of a wild kid. And it's true. I, was. I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I didn't hear the gospel very much growing up. Um, my parents were divorced and I went to hey, every so often we go to church for Christmas or something. But I didn't know a lot about Jesus. Didn't really know about about God. And I remember around fifth grade, my dad started taking me to church, uh, and I started I started to go to church, and it was it was cool. And off the bat, and I mentioned this to, uh, last last night. Wow, it's last night, but just last night. Um, Of course I said, I want to believe in the God. Of course I want to call myself a Christian. Of course I want the idea, heaven and hell, yeah, I I want heaven. Sure, of course, Jesus loves me, yeah, love's great, let's do that. I'm a Christian, I'll sign up for that. And in my fifth and sixth grade, seventh, eighth grade year, I was all about signing up for, hey, I'm a Christian, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Why wouldn't you be a Christian, man? Hey, love, God is love, you're not like love, you suck. You know, that's kind of how, in, in middle school, that's kind of how my mentality was, that's cool. I never really understood what Christ was actually calling me to in the gospel. I never understood who Christ was, what he did for me, and the unthinkable level of love and mercy and grace that existed in God sending his son to the earth as a man, 100% man, 100% God. And this, this Jesus, this God, Submitting himself undeservedly to a cross to be rejected when he could have snapped his fingers at any moment and said, done with this, I'm finished. He never did that. Instead, he willingly submitted himself to it and said, it is finished. Meaning death and sin and the reign of sin in our lives. And he rose from the dead to beat, to finally beat sin. And he reigns right now on the throne. And I didn't understand the amount of love and mercy and grace that, that existed for me. So I was a Christian. I was like, that's great. That's cool. I'm going to go to heaven. But I didn't get it. And my freshman year in high school, I went to Rockwood Summit High. That was my high school. And uh, I, I was living, I was middle school. I kind of lived the party lifestyle. I mentioned that. Freshman year, I was part of the football team, and I got involved with the wrong guys there and the wrong crowd, and I partied a lot, and I drank a lot, and I was just making wrong decisions. And my, really, the, the thing that I was drawing from that year was, even though I called myself a Christian, is I just wanted to be popular. I wanted to be well-liked. I wanted to be a good football player. I wanted a girlfriend really, 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 really badly. Um, I just, I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a cool guy, and I, you know what? I wanted that, and I, I turned to that, and I treasured that, and I loved that idea far more than I loved Jesus. I didn't, I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't understand grace because I, I just said, "Hey, I want to go to heaven. I'll be a Christian, great." So after my freshman year, I got plugged back into my youth group in my my church that I'm actually a pastor at now. Uh, and this girl Tammy Beach uh, uh, invited me to youth group again. I was like, "Oh, you're cute. I'll go to youth group." It's uh, a freshman year. You're like, you're a sleazebag, Tony. I was a freshman in high school. Come on. Um, and so, so he invited me to youth group, and I, I went on the summer trip. We went to Panama City, Florida. And I remember, I mentioned this last night, I remember having a really fun week and an exciting time. I remember seeing that video they showed of, of a depiction of Christ's death and his crucifixion and his rising from the dead. It just moved me. I, I, I just thought about, I thought about my sin. <laughs> I realized and recognized my sin and what I, what I had done against God, what my actions and words and thoughts had done against Christ more than I ever had ever noticed before, ever known before. And then I, in the same moment, I saw what Christ did, even though he deserved to, he, he, he had every right to just disown me, to say, you're done. But in that moment, I, I saw this depiction of Jesus crucified on the cross and bleeding and dying and being, and just all of it. And I was overwhelmed. I was weeping. I was overwhelmed with emotion. I was overwhelmed with my own sin. overwhelmed with the grace God would do this for me even though I don't deserve it. And I came home from that trip. I, I wanted to come home from that trip saying everything's different. I am going to Run to this Jesus. I'm gonna learn everything I can about him. I want to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm gonna learn everything I can about Jesus. And I'm gonna pray every day. I'm gonna get a mentor. And I cannot wait to just run to this Jesus as my source. I'm gonna run away from everything else. I'm gonna to run to Jesus as my source. And I got on a bus to come home. I sat on the seat by that window aisle, two seats from the back, and sat next to me was Lindsay Kimberling remember Lindsay well. Lindsay was a blonde-haired cheerleader from Marquette High School. I kind of knew Lindsay. She sat next to me and, and then a phenomenon happens on she have ever been on a charter bus before and gone like a really long distance okay you guys, you, some of you guys know exactly where I'm going uh, and, 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 and Lindsay sits next to me and I'm like, okay Lindsay, she's fun she's cute. I'm excited about going home. I'm excited about Korea. I'm proud of Jesus here we go. And we start driving, and we're hanging out, and then, the, you know, everyone's having fun. I'm like, oh, cool, a cute girl sitting next to me. Yeah, this is awesome. Started, start to, you know, notice her, and she starts to flirt with me a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, but Jesus, but Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and, and we're driving, and that moment comes. You guys know if you've ever done the overnight bus ride. That moment comes when they turn the lights off in the bus, and they flip the movie on. It was a princess bride. I remember it. Uh, <laughs> And she was like, I love this movie. It did that look, me too. You know, I did that thing. (laughs) And, um,. And we're sitting, and we're watching for a while. People start to pass up. It starts to get quiet. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Every so often, you know, your arm rubs against her. You're like, oh, your arm rubs against her. That's cool. And then your feet, your feet hits your foot. You're like, oh, my God. And you start to get more excited. You know, that's cool. And and every so often, she's like, oh, this is my favorite part. she, like, pats you on the leg or the shoulder. You're like, oh, she touched my leg. (laughs) Hey, man, she touched my leg. And you're excited. And and, um, you're asleep. Never mind. And and, and then then the moment happened. She starts to watch We get to And then it happened. You guys know it. The head hit the shoulder. Trouble. I call it it bus love is what I call it. (laughs) It's that phenomenon where when somebody sits next to you that you never in a normal everyday life would ever have had romantic feelings from, they sit next to you in a bus for like 12 hours and you're like, hey, how you doing? You know, it's kind of like... And, and she put her head on my shoulder and, and then eventually it was like, oh, hey, and I was like, hey, buddy, back there. He was asleep. Hey, his name is David. David, what's going on back there, man? How you doing? Oh, what's up? You know, and you have the hand around the shoulder. And, says, and, and that was it. And then suddenly we were cuddling on the bus. I didn't, didn't even really know Lindsay that well. And then we were cuddling on a bus. Why do I share that story? What, what, what if I was like, let's pray? <laughs> no... no um, uh, Joel, Joel, Joel would be like, we got to get a new speaker right now. Um, why do I tell that story? i got to get centered back again. Uh, why do I tell that story? Um, well, I remember we got home. I was like, oh, Lindsay and me, that was fun. That was sweet. And then two days later, my phone rings. It was creepy because Lindsay didn't have my phone number, so I didn't know how she got it. <laughs> but Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay Kimberly calls me and uh, says, hey, how you doing? How and we started talking. We talked the next night we talked the next night and we talked every night for the next six months on the phone every month and about eight months later i started dating Lindsay kimberly and we dated for two years all through my sophomore year all through my junior year, summer of my junior year we broke up uh, and she was the absolute source and center of my life i came home so excited about having my source and this grace of jesus that i was so new to and it, was, it wasn't her fault it, it something came along and I said, I want an identity. I love the idea of my identity being your boyfriend. I want an identity. I want, I want happiness. I'm happy when I'm around you and I see other guys seeing me that I'm with this cheerleader girl. You, you give me a purpose. You say, oh, wow, I've got this awesome girlfriend. And for two years, Lindsay was my source of purpose, identity, and happiness. And I remember my summer from my senior year, really out of nowhere, we'd had some issues Lindsay has me over to her place, and, and, and long story short, she breaks up with me out of nowhere. It uh, says it's because of some random issues, and just she just wants to know what it's like to not date. It's funny because she dated a guy like a month later, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and then, and I, so I, I'm okay, but here's the thing. Because of the way our relationship was, I, I figured I figured we were going to get back together again. I never, like, gave up. That, I, she was still an idol, a source to me, and I said, you know what? I, we're going to end up back together. So I wasn't actually all that messed up about it. And then this night happened. Her, her best friend, Chrissy, uh, we were instant messaging. AOL, old school AOL instant messenger right? We were doing that. Tony, you're so old. No, but we were doing sitting there late at night, instant messaging. And she says this. I remember very, very vividly. She said, do you really want to know why Lindsay broke up with you? Which is a stupid thing for a best friend of anybody to say to her ex-boyfriend. But, hey, that's how people can be. And I said, what do you mean? She broke up with me for X, Y, and Z reasons. And she said, no. She said, Lindsay cheated on you. I said, oh, my goodness. and She said she cheated on you with one of your best friends, a guy named Matt. best friends they met and I remember how I felt that that moment I felt like everything that I had something that I had built up and built up and built up and was precious to me that I just loved clinging to and embracing and I couldn't imagine being out of my life was just suddenly toppled over pulled away and yanked away and I was on the floor searching for it. everything that gave me an identity and purpose and, and need in life was just suddenly shattered and broken. And not only was it gone, but it attacked me. It hurt me. I remember what I did. I grabbed. I went to my desk. I had a desk. And I had a picture of us in high at uh, homecoming. It was homecoming, and back then, homecoming pictures weren't as cool as they are now. You're we like cool, awesome, like backyard shots. Back then, it was like this cheesy, like background, like stars shooting, and you're like doing this cheesy thing. And and I had this bowl cut with like it was weird, and it was like the butt cut bowl cut. And I'm, here, you know, and I grabbed. I'm, I'm. actually glad what I ended up doing with this picture. And I grabbed it. It was a picture of her and I. and It was like our picture. I just remember it was this big wooden frame, this big heavy glass. I just took my hand, and I just punched it. I punched straight through the glass, straight through the wood backing, all the way through. And I grabbed the picture, and I ripped it out, and glass flew everywhere. And my hand started bleeding, and I ripped this picture to shreds in tears. And I remember being, it, it, it was a dramatic image. I remember falling to my knees like this. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but this is what I did. Um, and I remember ripping this picture out and and just throwing it on the ground and I'm crying and I'm weeping and there's glass shards and there's pictures of me and Lindsay ripped up every, and there's blood coming out of my hand. Uh, and I literally am sitting here and I couldn't control myself. And, and the reason that I did that, uh, is because I was laying literally in that moment in my own brokenness. I was broken. I was crushed. And you want to know why? Is because this this made-up fake fountain that I thought could be a source for me, that I was drinking from and drawing from for two plus years of my life, was cut off and gone, and I simply, my body, my heart, my mind, just simply didn't know how to respond and react, uh, and I was left broken. And you know what laid there, sat next, and I remember this, uh, on my, my, my bedside table for those two and a half years from the day I got home from that Panama City trip to the day she broke up with me. You know what sat collecting dust on my bedside table was my Bible. And all these hopes and dreams I had of having the source in the gospel of the grace that just filled me up so much in that moment. I remember looking at that and taking it, and I, for the first time in a long time, I sat and I prayed a real, true prayer that night. And my prayer was, Jesus, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I need, but I know that I need you. And that was a turning point in my life. Because it was a moment that I learned that going, uh, forgetting the source of grace in my life that I knew was the purpose of of my life after that camp. And, and, and turning my source to other things was only going to end up in devastation for me. I was left broken and empty. The good news is, is during that time, I did trust grace and Christ for salvation. And even though I was running and, and being completely disobedient to, to Christ, Christ didn't leave me alone. <laughs> like my salvation was still... God, the way God looked at me during that time of my life, the way that God viewed me and approved me and loved me during that never changed. Paul John talked about that this morning. It never changed. But I needed to change my source. Something else I could have done when I came home from that camp, guys, what if let's just say Lindsey Kimberly doesn't sit next to me. You know what else I could have done? I I, I didn't write this in my notes, but I just thought of this. You know what else I could have done? I could have said, no, Lindsay, away. And, you know, um, (laughs) beat you with my Bible. You know, I could have said, away, temptress. You know, I could have done that. Um, And I could have come home. I could have come home and just dug it. And, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be diligent and disciplined. And I'm going to be so dedicated. Three Ds, it's awesome. I love that. And I'm going to be all these things in the Bible. And and you know what? my source in that moment would have been my own works. My source in that moment would have been me just trying hard, and not in God's grace for me. And tonight, what we're going to do just for a little bit is we're going to look at a, at a guy that he, he was fallen and broken and sinful, but at a man I think that really did understand grace and ran to grace as his source. Um, and, and we're going to look at at a guy named the Apostle Paul. That um, is actually wasn't that's not his birth name, the Apostle Paul. Um, if it was, that's a weird fact. Um, but uh, Paul is one of the most significant communicators of grace, if not the most significant written communicators of grace, other than Jesus, uh, that, that we have. And he wrote a lot of the New Testament, and, and he, understood, he understood grace as his source. And everything, when you read Paul's books, when you read Romans and Galatians and Philippians and Colossians, when you read the Thessalonian books, you... He says a lot about how to live for Christ, guys. He says a lot of practical things, but they are all dripping with grace. Paul, he understood grace and he let it lead him. And even when he said, this is how you need to live and how I need to live, those words were dripping with grace. And two things I want to look at is Paul looked to grace. What, what, what do I mean by grace as a source? We're going to look at how Paul looked to grace as a source. And Paul looked to grace as a source as an identity, right, His ide- for his identity and for his effort. It sounds strange. You're like, oh, the effort word. Well, we're going to look, see what that means in a second. But I'm going to look at a passage here in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. You can turn there if you'd like. Uh, open up your Bibles, great. You can follow along uh, here if you wish as well. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul has this, one of my favorite passages is talking about grace and talking about effort, talking about grace and talking about work, right? And how how are these things combined? How are these things connected? Paul got it. Paul got it in 1 Corinthians. And this is what he writes. This is what he writes. For I'm the least of the apostles. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say that? He says, I'm unworthy to be called an apostle, right? We're going to stop there. First, you can tell already that Paul's got a good sense of his identity. Paul knows, think about who Paul is. Paul's literally writing parts of the Bible, okay? He was chosen to write parts of the Bible. He was the first, like, grand missionary that we've ever seen. He was just traveling everywhere and sharing the gospel and building churches. I mean, Paul was a a stud. But he also had this very true understanding of his identity. I'm the least of the apostles. You'd think Paul would be like, check me out. No, I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm unworthy to be called one. Paul has a great understanding already of his identity that no matter what he produces in his life, he's he's a sinner. He's a sinner saved by grace. He's a sinner loved by Jesus. And he is no longer owned and and, and, and named by his sin. He is now a forgiven son of Jesus Christ. But he knows that, that sin still reigns in his life right now. And he knows what he's done. And why is Because he persecuted the church of God. There was a time in Paul's life before Christ revealed himself to him that Paul literally persecuted Christians and had them killed, had them murdered. And so he understands where he's come from. He understands where grace has brought him from. And then he says this, as far as identity, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. One of the first things I want to say with, as far as how is grace a source of identity, Well, I'm sorry, how is grace a source of obedience? Well, grace is a source of, of our identity as Christians. If we want to be, if we want to understand what it means to be obedient, we have to have a very firm understanding of who we really and truly are. And grace teaches us that we left to ourselves are, are broken and, and hopeless sinners that cannot pull themselves out of the muck. And grace teaches that because of the work and the, and the, and the love and the and the, The relentlessness of God, we're not identified by that sin anymore, but we are now sinners saved by grace, united, united to Jesus and who he is. And Paul Paul gets that. Paul understands, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he knows that today, what I am now, who I've become, I'm no longer a persecutor of Jesus Christ. Think about your lives. Think about where I was. I'm no longer a denier of the gospel. I'm no longer addicted to this or this or that. I'm no longer somebody that idolizes this. I'm no longer somebody that's held captive by this girlfriend. I am now something else. And you know what? It's by the grace of God I am what I am. Paul talked this morning about, I'm sorry, John talked this morning about how we look at grace, the importance of grace, and grace is many things. But gr- grace is the, the, the beginner. The, the, grace is what begins faith. Grace is what begins any kind of, we can't even begin to think about being interested in the gospel unless God's grace of the Holy Spirit begins to convince and converts our, convert our hearts that it's true. And Paul knows, I never would have even thought about what it means to follow Jesus if his grace wasn't already at work in my heart, changing me. And that made me a new man, and that is my identity. And that's why he says here, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not only in a big picture, I'm saved, but Look at what, I'm a missionary now. I have the privilege of telling people about Jesus. I'm writing things people are reading. By the grace of God, I now am doing what I'm doing. So Paul finds his, I'm sorry, yeah, Paul finds his his identity. The gospel is, uh, uh, grace is a source of his identity, leading him to obedience. But then look at what he does. He looks to grace as a source of, for his effort. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, his grace saved me, pulled me up from the muck, changed me, converted my heart, made me a Christian, his grace did, and then it wasn't in vain because you want to know what happened to that? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Paul says, God's grace saved me, and now I work hard. Why does he work hard? Why is Paul saying, I work tirelessly. My efforts, my physical, uh, practical efforts for the gospel, I work a lot. Are we, we speaking, oh, is that, is that legalism? Is that moralism? No, because you know what he says? I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. But this whole passage is just peppered with grace. And and, and what it's saying is by God's grace, I I was interested in him. I, I, I learned about him. I came to know him. I became gifted and, and empowered to do things. And now I work hard. Now I, not in vain. I, I, I give myself gladly in effort and identity, but only because of grace. When we talk about obedience. We must begin with the source—a source with grace. Why is grace? Why is grace a source? I've got to get moving here. Why is grace a source? Uh, I'm going to go through this one quickly. We looked at this this morning, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to look at Ephesians really quickly. Um, you can just follow along. I'm going to read the beginning of Ephesians, which actually is not up here. Um, I'm going to read the very beginning of Ephesians. So we talk about identity. This is Ephesians 2. Follow along with me really quickly. This is what Ephesians 2 says about us and what our identity was apart from Christ. You were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I'm going to say that again. You were dead. Not you were hurting. Not you were limping. Not you were decent. You were dead. In the trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work. in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children. By nature, we are dead and children of wrath. Moving down to Ephesians two eight, for by the grace I'm sorry, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen to this, guys. For we are his workmanship. We are actions. The the fruit that we produce, any growth and and advancement that we see in any area of our life. You know what it is? His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Is it okay for us to be talking about obedience and good works? Yes, because this just told us we were created for good works which God prepared beforehand, that what? Not that we should hear about them and say, sweet, I'm going to heaven. No, that we should walk in them, that we should walk in them. Why is grace a source? Because we were once dead, and now we are alive. Grace is a source of life. If if, if this evening you're sitting in this room, and you can say, By the grace of God, you have a faith that it trusts and embraces embraces Christ and the gospel, and Him as your Lord and Savior. You can say, I now have life that I didn't once have before. Grace is a source. And not only that, you can say, at one time, as as Ephesians said earlier in the passage, I once was a prisoner. I once was a prisoner to to disobedience. I was a prisoner to my flesh. I didn't have any freedom. I didn't have any ability to choose what is right. But then grace came, and grace turned my heart, and grace moved in me. Grace regenerated my heart. Grace, we're going to use this word later, sanctified me. Continual progression and process of becoming more and more Christ-like. It justified me. It made me right in God's eyes. And because of that, because of that, I can now say, I am new. I have life. I can obey. I'm free to obey because of what Jesus has done for me. Grace is a source for life and for freedom. And also, of course, salvation for hope. To have victory over death. How is grace a source? That is the why is grace a source. How, how is grace a source? How, how does this, this grace do this in our lives? How does this grace set us free? How does this grace make us alive and new again? Galatians 3. Galatians 3 says it this way. I'm just going to read these. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God, by works of the law? In other words, did you receive the Spirit of God in your life? Did you did you get regenerated? Did the Spirit of God begin to dwell in you because you, you were doing stuff to bring him there? Or did you do it by hearing with faith? Did the Spirit show up by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, in other words, your whole spiritual life, which was going towards death and nothingness, begun it you turned and and, and were regenerated your heart was shifted by what by you by your wisdom by your i think i should do something different no by the spirit having begun by the spirit are you now growing moving advancing being perfected now by your flesh by you doing stuff no no paul says in galatians no the spirit (laughs) begins and also perfects us Later on he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, God supplying what he calls his helper, we're going to look at in a minute, the helper of the Holy Spirit, does he supply it to you uh, and works miracles among you by doing so, by you doing works of the law, or by hearing with faith? (laughs) When God's grace turned your heart around and made your heart capable and and, and able to cling to him in faith, the Holy Spirit began to do a work in you. That's still doing a work in you right now what we're moving to right now is do we even remember and recognize and know that what's the power what's the power of of the source of grace how does how does grace do this we have god inside of us he's not in a temple anymore like in the old testament he god is inside of us his spirit is with us and in that then other things we're going to look at uh, probably in two days this means of grace scripture and prayer god's Spirit is working and changing and giving us power to say, I shouldn't be able to obey, but I can because of his grace. His spirit moves in grace. God, The way I wrote it, guys, is God has given and supplied his Holy Spirit to us. And when we continually return by faith to the grace of God that he has for us, you know what you're returning to? You're returning to the Holy Spirit of God that is powerfully working within you to produce obedience. When we turn back to the grace and not our works, we're turning back to the Spirit that is working and bringing fruit about in our lives. John, I'm going to read this one too. I know I'm bopping all around, but this is stuff so good. John 14, you know what Jesus says about the Spirit? He says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoa, what does that have to do with the Spirit? Didn't we talk about that earlier? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know what he says right after that? I didn't mention this earlier. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Jesus just knows. He said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He knows that people aware of their sin and identity are going to say, I can't keep your commandments. I can't obey the law. And he says, I know. That's why by my grace I'm going to send to you a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. Why? Because he dwells with you and will be in you. Guys, I wish at this moment we were Presbyterians because I want to hear people say hallelujah. The spirit <laughs> dwells within you. Amen. The spirit of God dwells and works within you. Jesus says it right there. You know him. He dwells with you, and he will be in you. Later on, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things. He'll bring to you remembrance all that I've said to you. Do you forget the Spirit brings remembrance and his grace? Do you, do you feel like you can't do it? Do you feel like I can't obey the commandments? The Spirit of God, by grace, is in you. But we don't, see, even Carter's excited. See, he doesn't, he doesn't pay, we don't pay attention. We forget, we, we forget that this reality I had to fit this in here once. I apologize. Star Wars. Okay. Um, this is a scene from the end of, of, uh, of A New Hope. Uh, it's, it's Luke and the rogue squadron descending upon the Death Star. If you don't like Star Wars, you can still get this, this illustration. It's okay. Um, and he's a pilot, and and, and Luke's still learning the ways of the Force, the Force, which is this thing that binds all things together and brings power to the Jedi, okay? And he's learning how to be a Jedi, and he's being trained by this weird ghost guy named Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's talking to him with this creepy voice in the back of his head, and there's this moment in Star Wars, the very end, when this rogue squadron, this, this, this group of spaceships, is basically flying down this ravine in this thing called the Death Star, this massive spaceship. Um, and, and basically Luke's done it before. It's like Beggar's Canyon back home for you nerds that know that reference, and he's flying down this ravine, and all, they got to shoot like a laser in this hole like this small, right? And if they do that, it'll blow up the whole death star. That's kind of a weak overlook by the designers. Um, and there's this huge hole, and they're flying the ships down this ravine, and, and Luke's in the lead, and he has this thing. You can't see it, but it's this, this, basically this targeting device that will help him target this hole. And while he's, it's kind of a funny scene actually. It keeps going, he keeps on popping it down in front of him. He, I'm targeting, and there's this guy, stay on target, and this thing's happen, And then this creepy ghost Jedi Obi Wan, use the force, Luke. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, okay. And it kind of goes, and he's like, what are you doing? Get your thing back. And he's like, okay, target off. Uh, use the, you trust your feelings, Luke. And you're like, what? He looks confused. Um, and, and what happens is he decides, no. Uh, I, I, if, I, if it's true, this force thing is real. I, I'm going to trust in this. I'm going I'm to use this force thing that Obi-Wan's tell me to do. And sure enough, it boom shoots the whole boom. Dust star blows up. It flies away in time. Everybody's happy. Um, don't hear. Don't start tweeting what I'm not saying. The Holy Spirit is not the force. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is this thing that unites and bonds all things. And if you use your feelings, you can do whatever, okay? Don't tweet Tony Hour 13 at that one. But um, I guess gave my tweet. That was a bad idea. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a long night. But uh, well, my point is, my point is, is that Jesus says it. It sounds weird, but Jesus says it. Um, you know Him. He dwells within you and will be in you. We have a power of the Holy Spirit, a reality, a true. Grace of the Holy Spirit that exists in us, that empowers and enables and and allows us to fight sin and pursue obedience in ways that we never could before apart from the grace of Christ. And when we run to his grace, we run to this enabling, powerful, amazing, loving Holy Spirit that, in Jesus' words, dwells in us. Almost done. I know this has been a little bit long, but we're almost done. To return to where we started, we missed this. We ignore, as Christians, so often this source of grace in our journey towards Christ. Look at that picture of the athlete running after and pulling up lame. We still ignore the source of grace or we run to other things that we think are going to be helpful sources. And over and over and over again, we run out of gas and we, and we go lame and we feel devastated. And it's because we are missing and losing out and forgetting this source, this unending, never stop flowing, overwhelming, can't even imagine it, fountain, waterfall of grace that exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why our Bibles collect dust on our bedside tables, like mine did for two years. That's why our youth groups and our small groups and our, and our fellowship gets left behind for sports practices and homework because we don't see it, we don't thirst for it, we don't need it and love it as if it was a source. It's a thing in a side bag that maybe we can pull out every so often to keep things going, and that's not what a thirsty man does with water. He loves it, and he needs it, and he runs to it. We forget about the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we invest in other things. This is my application, and we're going to close. If you're falling asleep, just stick with me a couple more minutes. Whatever you invest your faith, your trust, and your dependence in, that it is what you are going to follow. Everyone in here, even if you think you're the cool guy that just puts off the whole image of, I don't really care what's going on. I'm the cool, too cool. Everyone in here really cares about something and is putting your faith and you're following something. And where you put your faith your trust, your happiness, your dependence. That is what you're going to pursue. When I could have pursued the grace of Christ in my life, I decided what was going to make me happier was Lindsay. I decided that she was going to make me happier. She was going to give me identity. She was going to give me my purpose. And that's what I pursued. That's what I obeyed. I obeyed Lindsay. I want to go to youth group tonight. No, let's hang out and go on a date tonight. Tonight, I want to create more margin in my life to be able to pursue and do these things. No, spend more time. I obeyed Lindsay. Not only her voice, but my own, my own desire. to just want to be around her all the time as a priority. I obeyed her because that's where my dependence and faith was. Guys, every, everybody has faith in something. Everybody trusts and has faith and, and loves and... Per- Even atheists, guys. Even atheists who say, oh, I don't... This is a bunch of rubbish, this Jesus and God stuff. It's all about you and the individual. That's a decision. That is a faith-based decision... That takes that's a, that's a leap of faith to say this whole world is about me, myself, and an individual. That is a very recent and new philosophical outlook on our world. And it's actually a dramatic leap of faith to say God doesn't exist, and it's all about me and my decisions. That is still saying I'm having faith and trust in myself, and I'm choosing to have faith in that. Mumford and Sons put it this way, if you know Mumford and Sons, their, their first album. Um, they say this, in these bodies we will live, in these bodies, we, we're all, we're all going to live a life. We're all, we're all going to cling on to something. In these bodies we will live, in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. This is the way the Mumford and Sons put, puts it. It's actually a little paraphrase of what is actually a biblical truth in Luke 12, which says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. We run to sources. Foundation, guys, is about wisdom. It's about building on wi- What am I building on? I want to build on Jesus and not on something else. Running to a source is about what do you love? What do you desire? What, do you, what are you passionate about right now? What do you feel like you need? What are you thirsty for? And so often we run to false idols and we run to false sources because we're thirsty for other things. And we lose our thirst and need for Jesus Christ And my question, my take-home question for you, it it doesn't seem that applicational, but I don't really care. It's a question that we need to ask is, do you love the grace of God in your life? Do you treasure His love for you? Do you thirst for His mercy in your sinful life? we don't run to his grace as a source, one of the things that we should ask ourselves is, do I love his grace? Do I have zeal for his grace? Am I excited? Do I treasure his grace? Many of us run to other sources. We run, we've talked about this this morning with Foundation as well, we run to to image as our source. As long as people think I'm funny and laugh at me and think that I'm good looking and cool and want to be around me, then my source. My thirst is completed. My identity is filled up. As long as I stay busy and productive and I keep good grades and I stay involved in so many extracurriculars and I keep my GPA so high I can get into this college and I can do well in this major so I can go on to do this thing, if I can do that, that's my source. That'll keep me feeling good and productive and right. A source is going to leave you devastated. Girlfriends, which is my story, sports, uh, I put leisure and comfort and entertainment. Sometimes, as many of us go home, and if you're a video game person, you just I want to go home and just unplug. I want to watch Netflix for six hours and then follow it up with a four-hour Halo session. <laughs> I'm not saying video games or Netflix are bad, but 12 straight hours, it, it's a little bit of a picture of what the source in your life is for where you're drawing happiness and joy and comfort and purpose. If when you're tired, all you want to do is flop down and catch up on six episodes of Breaking Bad that says something about what you're thirsting for in life. I'm not saying Netflix is bad. Don't go tweet that one either. <laughs> <laughs> what is your source? What are you depending on for your obedience to Christ? <laughs> I wrote this right before I wrote up there. Or before I walked up here, I should say. What is feeding your identity and your happiness. What things in your life are you running to, to feed, to you use as a source that feed your identity? Remember, Paul, not Luke, Paul. uh, Your identity, your happiness, and your effort. And what tonight is keeping you from trusting and loving and embracing and treasuring with great joy The grace that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. You know how Christians should be defined and seen as people that are deeply in love with their Lord? Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God. Not do this, 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 and this. We're going to get to that later. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Tonight, do you love the truth of God's grace? What's keeping you from that? Hopefully this week we're going to have an opportunity to ask those questions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, your grace. (laughs) Let us be people that, that unreservedly shout hallelujah when we are filled up with a realization of what your grace is, what your grace has done, what your grace continues to do for our identity and who we are. Lord, just thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you for being obedient because we couldn't. Thank you for being faithful when we can't. Thank you for taking the punishment and the wrath of God that we just simply couldn't. Thank you for your grace that was shown, the grace that flowed down that night. And help us to want to live. As Paul said, because of this, I worked harder than any of them. Help us to have a response of obedience to this great Lord, Lord, who shed his blood in grace for our sins. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.